So now we're going to make it real fun for you. We're going to talk about money and make everyone awkward, okay? Um, No, we are continuing our series in Proverbs and kind of Proverbs on wisdom, and today it is talking about money. So I'm going to be pretty direct about that and what Proverbs said, and for some of you, it may be a good reminder. Maybe a lot of these principles found throughout Proverbs you've already are kind of doing in your life, good for you, good reminder. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you haven't learned some of this stuff, and so it's going to be kind of a first time hearing it. And again, sometimes biblical advice can kind of cut a little bit, especially the first time it's received. Maybe you didn't have parents or a good finance teacher in in school. I I don't know, but uh, we're going to kind of do a little something fun to kind of get us started. So my first real job, like real, you fill out the W-4, not you mowed your grandma's lawn and she gave you $5, like real job was a school janitor. After school, assistant janitor to the school, I'd get to go and, you know, like... um, Walkmans, um, kids, those play tapes, um, cassettes. If you, I don't even know, do you know what CDs are? It was older than CDs. They played cassettes and battery operated. I get to put my headphones on, push the broom down the hallway, go set the sprinklers, do that stuff. I made four twenty-five an hour. It's my first job. Okay, so we're gonna have a little fun here. So if you've started out your first job, you made ten dollars or more an hour. Raise your hand. Ten dollars or more, first job. Go, holy moly, okay, so I mainly, I expected the really young faces to make $10, but, I, well, you look really young, Connie, yes, absolutely, but I, good for you to start out at $10 or more, first job, all right, let's go down, who started at $7.50 or more an hour as their first job, $7.50, okay, now we're getting more Gen Xers in there, that's us, okay, what if you started at $5 or more an hour, who was $5 or more an hour? Okay, now we're getting the, the, what's the one above Gen X? Old people, just all encompassing. All right, now we're going to really get down there because this is a big gap. How many started at $3 or more in that $3 range? $3, oh my goodness, like real job. Okay, now let's keep going. What about $2 an hour? Who started at two? Oh my goodness, a lot of hands went up. Okay, what about a dollar? Who started at real job, dollar an hour? Dollar? All right, so we got a few dollars over here. What about 75 cents an hour? A dollar in Fresno. A dollar in Fresno? Okay. What about 75 cents an hour? Did anyone do that? A dollar an hour. Can you imagine that in today's world, a dollar an hour? Like that, that's just crazy to think about when you do $4 a gallon for gas. And we kind of see like the, the shift that occurs in that. Um, of who made the least. And in this room, guys, someone is the poorest person in this room and someone is the richest person in the room. And we're not going to play a game to figure that out. Um, that would be uncomfortable. Um, we're, we're somewhere in between. Globally, we'd all be considered in the top 10%. Uh, local demographics would tell us most people in this room make five figures. Probably a few of you make six figures. And if any of you here make seven figures, I got a spot in my circle of friends that you could come be in <laughs> if you're there. You come talk to me. I'll hang out with you some more. Um, No, but most of us in here, we're considered somewhere in that middle class, okay? Um, Again, maybe upper end of that, lower end, maybe some a little below that. But globally, we'd all be considered in that top 10%. But can you imagine being the richest person in the world? Like the, the identified richest person in the world. What would you do with that money? We've all had those thoughts. If I won the lottery, I would do this. I would do this for my family, the people I cared about. I would set them up financially forever, and we kind of had those thoughts. Well, I want to tell you a story about the richest person in the world and, 
I mean, kind of what he didn't do with his money at one time. There was a man named J. Paul Getty. He founded Getty Oil. In 1914, he bought a well for $10,000. By 1915, he was a millionaire. In one year, he was already a millionaire. By 1957, he was the richest American living at that time. And by 1966, Guinness Book of World Records named him the richest person in the world. He had $1.2 billion in holdings. $1.2 billion in 1966. That is the equivalent of today of $7.2 billion. With that kind of money, there's not much you could not buy. But his grandson in 1973, July of 1973, John Paul Getty III was kidnapped in Rome. Uh, I don't know. Does anyone in here remember that? Some of you, maybe? A few of you, maybe older, maybe remember that story. He was kidnapped in Rome in 1973. His grandfather refused to pay his ransom. And let him remain in captivity until November of 1973 when the kidnappers mailed into a newspaper a lock of his hair and his ear. The guy had billions of dollars, refused to pay a ransom for his grandson until they cut his ear off and mailed it in because he did not want to basically throw his money away. And even at that point, the the release demands were $3 million dollars. He paid $2.2 million because that was the allowable tax-deductible amount. He loaned the other $800,000 to his son at 4% interest. And I say that to say this. Having money does not make you a good person, and it does not make you have a good heart, and it doesn't mean the Lord loves you anymore. There are people with money who are absolute dirtbags. And there are people without money who have genuine hearts. And the vice versa is true. There are people with money who have genuine hearts that love the Lord. And there are people without money that don't. That is not what determines our heart. And so as we talk about finances today, I didn't want us to kind of lose sight of that. That the the having or lack of having money really doesn't have a lot to do with our heart. It doesn't mean we, we, we necessarily please the Lord. As we've looked at in Proverbs, Proverbs are not promises They are good, godly, general principles to follow. They are not guarantees. They are speaking on wisdom and putting wisdom into practice or putting knowledge into practice. And so today, as we're going to be challenged about our finances from Proverbs, I'd encourage you to start putting some of these things into practice. How are you going to apply some of these things to your life? If you haven't done some of these things, maybe you need to begin doing them, but show wisdom in how you handle money. So my points are really in no particular order, but they're principles found throughout Proverbs. And I was talking with people before service. If you're joining us and reading through Proverbs, reading a proverb a day for the month, you're going to see there is a ton of verses on finances. I had to whittle the, the verse list way down because Proverbs speaks about finances. Almost every chapter, you'll find at least a, a verse, if not multiple verses, talking about finances. And so you're going to see this is brought up a lot. But the first point here that we have isn't even necessarily about money. It's more kind of how do you get it. And the first point on finances today is work hard. Work hard. Be willing to work without expecting a handout. When you work for what you have, you value it more. And there's a value in hard work and providing. It's kind of the key to financial stability and success. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5 says this. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. <clears throat> Culturally, I would say, and this is unfortunate, we're being trained more and more to expect someone else to pay for everything. It's someone else's job to pay for this. I want this, who should pay for it? Not me, my parents, the government, whoever, like fill in the blank. But we're kind of being trained that someone else should pay for what we want. Uh, Paul goes as far as to say that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat in referencing work. 
The Bible encourages and recommends hard work throughout. It says we should work for like as to the glory of the for the glory of the Lord in what we do. Proverbs 28, 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Erroneously, most people just kind of think people from wealth just kind of have fallen into that. Yet you'll see the reality is most wealthy people got there through hard work. There's multiple studies that show this. I could, I could cite study after study. I really just want to give you a couple. Uh, from BMO Financial Group found that two-thirds of high net worth Americans were self, self-made. In other words, they didn't start with much and they didn't come from mom and dad's money. Another study by U.S. Trust found that 70% of wealthy Americans grew up in middle class or lower income families. Most wealthy people got there because they worked hard for it. It wasn't just a handout. Uh, Proverbs 13, 11, wealth from get, get rich quick, quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Are we working hard at what we do? Are you a hard worker? Do you work for something or do you expect a handout? We should be known as Christians, we should be known as hard workers at what we do. When we go to work, we should be counted on. You said you're going to do this, you did it. You're a person of character, of integrity, who does what they say they're going to do and works hard. That's, that's recommended and, and told to us by God in the Bible. The next thing we should do is save your money. Save your money. Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Many and most financial advisors advise 10% as the starting point. Every time you get a check, you put 10% away. You save, so you, when you find yourself kind of in the smallest financial inconvenience, it's not a financial crisis. The inconvenience isn't a crisis. I don't know about you guys. For us, when we first got married, and I'm not making this up. I wish my wife was here. We had sick kids. She was going to try to sneak in at the back, but I don't see her. She could testify to this. $20 literally one of the biggest fights in our marriage that first year, over $20, right? Because $20 was a financial crisis then. Now it's like, okay, now it's at least $30 before there's financial crisis. No, no, but you, you save and you put stuff away so you get a little padding between yourself and the financial crisis. Um, we've saved. Um, you're saving for these unknowns because we all have the known unknowns. You know, we may not know when, but we know that our car is going to break down. You know that your kids are going to get sick and have to go to the doctor. You know that your air conditioner will break in the middle of the summer in Oakdale. And whether you can fix it yourself or have someone else, you still got to go buy parts for it. You know, on and on we could go. Like, we have these unknown knowns. Things are going to happen. I went to my mailbox just the other day, and it's like, I know it's about that time. It shouldn't surprise me, but what's in there? Car registration and smog. And it's like, dang it. And there's a couple few hundred dollars gone. It's like, ah, but it's like, we know it's coming. Have we given ourselves some padding? Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So are you saving? Are you putting something aside for those unknown knowns? And and this is one of those, we'll have people say they can't save, and I'm going to say, please don't say you don't have a dime to save. We can make changes in our lifestyle that it can account for things we can save. There are things we can cut out. There are things we can prune back from our life. And I'll just give you some examples. And this is a list from, of mine. Some of these things I've cut out. Some of them I have not. Some of them I've cut out for a season. But you can think through in your own life. But like trips to Starbucks? Uh-oh. Like for some people, that, that adds up. Netflix? Trips to the movie theater? Fast food? Cable TV? Cell phone? 
I don't know what's on your list of things you could cut out, but one or two of those things, and all of a sudden you could save a significant amount a month. And we can be saving. The bottom line is we can all find some margin to save. And biblically, we are recommended to do so as wise, to be wise stewards with what's given us. So I kind of want to, as we, as we transition, I'm going to give you a little preference to this next point. Because I've said it before, but I feel like I have to. So the dad in this show I'm about to reference commonly says this, okay? And in one episode, they explain what he means. Um, it's kind of his summary of telling his kids that he loves them. He wants them safe and he wants to protect them. He wants them to make smart choices. And then he says this to them. Every time almost, he says, don't be a moron. All right? And I use that saying so much with my youth group kids that we were pulling into Santa Cruz the other day. Where is he at? There he is. Joey's in the background. And I say, all right, everyone. And I start to say it. And Joey just cuts me off and goes, don't be a moron. I said, that's right, Joey. Don't be a moron. Before I let him out of my car. It's like, I love you, be safe, make wise choices. It's kind of all this all-encompassing thing. Well, with us, as Americans, we've become moronic when it comes to debt in particular. Most of us have probably heard the quote, a fool and his money are easily parted. And for some of you, you're easily parted with your money. And so I'll let you finish that equation on your own. Someone finished it. I heard one chuckle. (laughs) Proverbs 22, 7, just as the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. And so three points on debt is debt is dumb, impulse buying is dumber, and consumer debt is dumberer. And yes, my grammar's wrong, and if you correct me on that, you missed the joke there. Um, So debt is dumb. As a general rule of thumb, guys, this should be something that is not smart financially. Just generally, we should look at debt as an, in a negative light. It's not something we want to do. It's not advised. A house is an investment. A car loan is a debt. There's a difference in those. An investment usually will maintain or rise in value over time. An item that loses value is not an investment. And biblical principles would tell us you should not borrow money for something that depreciates in value. That is, that is a debt. The earlier you learn this one, the better. A borrower is slave to the lender is what we learn in Proverbs. You owe them something. There's no way around that. You've given up a part of yourself, whether that's a paycheck or a lien against something you have. But wealth, savings, retirement, investments, they're not built through debt. For generations, uh, the world and Americans view debt very differently than we do now. Debt's almost taught by finance professors as a tool to establish credit. Credit. This would be mind-boggling to people years ago because debt was always seen in such a negative light. I mean, you've heard of debtor's prison? Like, right, this was not something ever encouraged. Benjamin Franklin said this about debt. He'd rather go to bed supperless than rise in debt. We've got to change our perception of debt. It is not something that helps us become financially wealthy and wise financially. Debt is not good. Impulse buying, though, it's even worse. You know, we're working with one of our kids on this one, is, is this idea of impulse buying. So our kids, we, we don't give them diddly squat. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. If you give allowances to your kids, good for you. I don't. I expect them to help out because I pay for their food in their house. Um, and anyway, so, but their grandparents do, okay? Their grandparents give them money on their birthdays and at Christmas and different times of year. And so we have one of our kids that... Man, he's, well, I, he, I just gave it away, right? <laughs> there you go. He's not in here. We only have one boy. If you, you can figure it out who it is now. <laughs> All right. I meant to say generic, but gave that one up. Okay, so it's Ryan, obviously. <laughs> 
Ryan is the kind of kid that he gets money and it's like, hey, ice cream truck. And he's like getting the neighborhood kids. Who wants ice cream? I got my birthday money. He put all his money in his wallet and carried it around. And then he lost his wallet. And we're like, son, like, you, you know, what are you doing? But even carrying that much money, then he would impulse buy. He'd be like, oh, I'm going down to Taco Bell. And like, son, do you want to think this through a little bit? Like you've been talking about a large item that you want but you've got to exhibit some self-control. You can't impulse buy. You can't hear the stupid ice cream truck pass by and be like, yeah, I'll spend $5 on ice cream. And, and for us, it's easy to laugh at $5 on ice cream. That's foolish with our money. But how often do we walk into stores and it's like, oh, got to have it. The difference is we have the credit card and we have plastic. And it's like, oh, got to have it. Swipe. Got to have it. Swipe. Got to have it. Swipe. Now it's not even swipe. Now it's on my, man, I love it. It's on my phone. I just hold my phone near the machine and I'm done paying. Like I used to get irritated when people pay with checks. Now I get irritated when they even have to insert their chip because I'm just like, ding, done. I mean, but golly, it's so easy for us to buy. Do we have self-control? Self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit. Can we put some restraints on ourselves and what we need? Do we, can we take a step back and price shop and look around? Do we really need something? Do we have the finances to do it? Or is it just our impulses and our lack of self-control? And then lastly, consumer debt is the worst here. It's the dumberer. You and your kids don't have to have the newest and best of whatever. You can exhibit self-control in how you live your life. You can show them their value and self-worth comes from something greater than the clothes they wear, the phone they have, the car they drive. You know, consumer debt on these items, services, leisure activities, appliances... These are all debts that are born out of lack of self-control. These are not things we should be owing anyone for. We should not be in debt for anything that's in our house. And that, that's just biblical wisdom. I'm sorry if that like cuts you a little bit, but that, that's the reality. If we want to be financially free and be responsible, we should not owe money on a TV and a washer and a dryer and start going through your house. We shouldn't owe for those things. Proverbs 22, 26 through 27. Do not be one who shakes hand in a pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. For years, this would have almost been comical, thinking of your bed being taken from under you if you owe money. But with the advent, it kind of this last generation of rent-to-own stores, it's not so funny, is it? Rent-to-own everything in our house, payday lenders, cash lenders, I looked up one just to get an idea of what it was like. And this was their advertisement. So this, wasn't, this is their hook to get you. Rates as low as 19.9%. Rates as low. And, the, and you're supposed to go like, whoa, what a deal. I can borrow $100 and owe you $120. And then if I miss a payment, who knows what it jumps. And that's the low end. And I'm just like shocked. Why would anyone do that? If you're starting to do these things, I just want to encourage you guys, you need to get like some financially, financial like counseling and seek wisdom and advice on that. And we can help you with that. There's other avenues to go down. But you're starting to go down a very dangerous cycle that's going to be hard to get out of, okay? So maybe make some of these changes while you can. Because we end up in situations that it's hard to reverse course. Warren Buffett said this on spending. Chains of habit are too light to be felt until they are too heavy to be broken. Chains of spending are too light to be felt until they are too heavy to be broken. You know, Christy and myself, we're about to celebrate our 16th anniversary. And this year, we finally bought a piece of furniture that wasn't from Craigslist or a garage sale. 16 years into our marriage, we finally bought something that wasn't 
like a used item. And in buying an item, it's not wrong to buy something, but some of you probably need to become more garage sale and Craigslist people until you get your financial house in order. If you can't afford to pay for it, you don't need to buy it. It's a simple rule of life. There's this show we enjoy watching called The Middle. I don't know if you guys remember it. Yeah, it was kind of fun with Patricia Heaton. She was the mom from Everybody Loves Raymond, and then she went on to have a show called The Middle. In one episode, it starts off by showing all these things they bought over the previous two years. And they'd walk in and go, no payments till 2009. No payments till 2009. No payments till 2009. They did that with multiple things. And then it flashes forward to 2009. And she goes, we owe $600 on a VCR we just sold for $2 at a garage sale. And that's how it works. And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of us shop. It's reflected on TV for a reason. If it was so outlandish and abnormal, it wouldn't be reflected in modern culture on TV. The reflecting stuff that it happens to people. So we've got to control ourselves. Just a few things. Debt's the biggest one financially, if you can control. Consumer debt. Americans now average $38,000 in consumer debt. That's, that's not your mortgage. That is consumer items that you owe for. The amount of people that carry zero debt is down from 27 to 30, 23% in the last five years. Credit card debt, we are now up to $1.04 trillion in credit card debt, up from $854 billion five years ago. Our country as a whole just keeps spending. Proverbs 13.25, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Are you ever full? Do you ever look around and say, I've got enough. I'm content. I'm satisfied. Car debt. We're now up to $1.14 trillion in car debt with an average car payment of $530 a month. That's a house payment in some states. And not California. I know that, obviously. There are some places that, that would pay for a house. And I know you have to drive to work and school. I'm not discounting that stuff. But do you have to drive there in the nicest car that you can't afford? Or can maybe you prune the tree a little bit there and how quickly could you maybe establish a savings account, a retirement account? How quickly could you become financially uh, free from other things if you reduce the amount you have on that? Student loan debt, the average student loan debt is now $32,000 for a bachelor's degree. So we send our kids off to college to accumulate mass amounts of debt. We haven't trained them in how to handle debt or how to handle finances. So then what do they do when they walk on a campus? They sign up for a credit card because, hey, we get a free t-shirt. So then they're on college, going into debt for education and going into debt for everything they want to go out to eat because the meal plan wasn't good enough. And so then they graduate from college and they realize, oh, you don't start off most jobs making 100 grand a year. I got all this debt. How am I going to pay for it? How am I going to get by? And we have not trained them at all and we just set them up for failure financially. And so I'm going to kind of upset the apple cart here, but when it comes to education, not every kid needs to go to college. Some kids need to join the workforce. Some kids, God's gifted them with a mind to work and a, a body and ability to work, and that's okay. And some kids need to get a job. Some need to go to trade school and learn a skill that, that they can work with. Some need to go to college. Maybe some need to go to junior college or a local college. But we can't strap thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on debt on them and, and then expect them to financially be okay in these first few years and wonder why, why are they having financial crisis? Why are they moving home? What's going on? Another one they need to do is, and I don't care if you can pay for college or not as a parent, they need to have a job. Back to point one, they need to learn the value of hard work and put some skin in the game. So whether that's during school or in the summer or at some point, there needs to be this expectation of you should work. You should contribute to this. It is not incumbent on mom and dad to fork, fork over everything for you. And even if you can, 
again, it's the value you want to instill in them. Do you want to instill a value of hard work or a value of handout? We want the value of hard work. So even being able to doesn't mean we should. Proverbs 17, 8, 18, first part. One who, one who has no sense shakes hands in a pledge. Are you avoiding going into debt? Can you control your impulse, impulses? Are you making a plan to get out of debt and sticking to it? Finances are the number one thing fought about in marriages. Finances are the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. So apart from your spouse cheating on you, the second leading reason, reason people get divorced is finances. Do you hide purchases from your spouse? Not like their birthday present, like you're trying to, but do you hide things from them because you're scared to talk about it? Are you scared to have those conversations with them? These are unhealthy patterns that erode trust in relationships. When we can't control our spending, it leads us into debt, and then we're hiding purchases and scared to talk about them. So it erodes the foundation of trust in a marriage that has to be there. Uh, there was a study on marriages, and those that said they had a great marriage were twice as likely to talk about finances at least once a week. Great marriages have open communication because they're not trying to hide anything. There's trust built there. So we need to avoid debt. It, it's destroying our homes and relationships. It, it's a very negative thing. The next one is be generous with your wealth. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. God calls for his people to be generous with the money. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 9 that God loves a cheerful giver. We should put God first with our giving. Giving to the Lord should be from our best and our first, not from our leftovers. What we give to him should, should rise to the top. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Again, this encouragement of giving from the, the, the best part would have been the first part of everything. Not at the end of the month, if I have something left, I'll, I'll try to squeeze God in a little bit. Should be right off the top. That's where we go with that. Most of us probably are in a position to be generous in some form. I'm, I'm not saying everyone, but most everyone in here is. And that may look differently for all people. Right? We all have different paychecks, different financial responsibilities, but the generosity uh, we should be able to do should be something. I could give something. I can do something. So are you doing something? Um, you know, we've received hand-me-down clothes from people that don't have a lot of money, but they still can be a blessing and be generous to others. And for us, that's, that's a blessing because then we're not having to turn around and buy certain clothes and gave us some financial freedom. Um, we've been blessed with opportunities to do things. And maybe some of you guys have been in that position where others have blessed you with an opportunity to do something maybe you couldn't afford on your own, but they were just blessing you and being generous. Generosity can come in all different shapes. And then there's times I've seen an actual like really wealthy person also be a really generous person. And, and this was like, whoa, I mean, whoa, the, the mind, and they didn't advertise what they did, but when you start hearing from other people what they did, this is the kind of person that was like building mass impact stuff in other countries for the sake of the gospel. But they had ingrained in themselves a generous heart before they ever got wealthy. And they were giving away a, a, a lot of money. As Christians, we're called to be generous when it comes to people. Caring for others around us is a very practical way for us to show God's love and that he cares for them. Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. You know, we need to acknowledge that all wealth comes from God. And he wants it to, for us to further his purposes, not ours. 
very first thing, God wants us to further his kingdom, his purposes, and not ours. And so are you making God greater in the sight of others in how you use your money? Or are you making yourself greater in the sight of others in how you use your money? We should be being generous and making God great in the sight of others. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will, will receive many curses. Proverbs 28, 27. Are you being generous with your wealth? Seek ways to be generous. You know, some of you can do that financially. Others of you can do that through service and volunteer work. You could do that through donated stuff. But all of us should be being generous in some way, in some capacity. One of the ways our church has decided to do that through our community is with this partnership with Family Support Network. And we've really decided to make a conscious effort to support our community. And we kind of spent some time in prayer and meeting with them and just going through how can we support our community. And and this is where we landed was with Family Support Network. And so kind of the launching event to that is we're doing, uh, we're going to start a backpack drive on June 16th. Um, And again, those are donated items, whether it's new or just lightly used. But that's one small thing most of us in here can, can be part of. Is finding, a, finding something to donate. And that, that, that's like this much. A lot of us can do far beyond that. But we can all find it in our hearts and in a way to be generous in our community, in our church, in our world. Um, some of us kind of, you, you hear these statements, I'll, I'll, I'll begin being generous, I'll begin giving when I have X amount of income, when we make X amount. And, and I'm just going to be blunt and say, no, you won't. Because giving's not tied to the amount of money you make. If you're going to say, I'll give when I make this amount, I'm going to say, no, you're probably not. Because it's a heart issue. It's not an amount of money issue. You can be generous with wherever you're at right now. I want my kids to be generous with the little bit of money they get right now. I want them with the $35 that they get for their birthday from from my parents. I want them to learn to be generous and put a portion of that side to give away to someone else, to help someone else in need. Because it's not about the dollar figure, it's about the heart issue that we fight against. We fight against greed. And that's my next point is don't be greedy. It goes to the counter, it's just the opposite of being generous. Don't be greedy. Proverbs 28, 25, greed causes fighting, trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. Building wealth is encouraged in Proverbs. Doing so from a heart of greed is not. Trusting in God for our substance is a good step to remembering where all our finances, where all our money comes from. It should lead us to humility of saying, ultimately, it all comes from you, God. Even if you've blessed me with a mind or a body to be able to work and achieve and attain success and wealth, ultimately, that all comes from you. Greed is not a matter of how much money you have. The same way generosity is not a matter of how much money you have. Greed is a sin issue. There are generous rich people and there are generous poor people. It's a condition of the heart and not a balance in the bank account. And you could be generous with little and you could be greedy with little. The same way you could be generous with a lot or you could be greedy with a lot. It's our heart issue much greater than any sort of bank account issue. Proverbs 28, 22. Greedy people try to get rich quick but don't realize they're headed for, prof, uh, for poverty. Proverbs 1, 19. Such are the paths of those who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. So are you being greedy? Are you constantly seeking to consume? Do you take advantage of others to get what you want? These are all indicators of a greedy person, someone that needs to get some change in there. Next, take wisdom over wealth. Take wisdom over wealth. If given the choice, pursue wisdom, not wealth. 
wisdom is by far the better thing to go after. Being wise will generally lead to financial stability anyway because you will make better decisions. You'll put things into practice that you've been taught. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding than to be than chosen, excuse me, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 8, 10, and 11, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Are you pursuing godly wisdom? You know, there are so many points given in Proverbs on finances and wisdom in there and, and, all, and a lot of other areas that we're going to cover over the next few weeks. But beyond the Bible, there's some really great teachers out there that give financial wisdom. Um, just a few. Larry Burkett with Crown Financial Ministries, if you're looking for someone. Uh, Dave Ramsey does Financial Peace University. And Randy Alcorn does Eternal Perspectives Ministry. All of them have solid financial stuff. You know, personally, I, I kind of go with Dave Ramsey. I like his snarkiness and sarcasm. Um, I, I, I enjoy that, like, because I can lean that way. And when I'm doing something dumb, I kind of like being said, hey, that's dumb. And he's pretty direct about it. Uh, others I know lean towards Randy Alcorn. He's a little gentler in how he says it. Uh, and he's very thoughtful in his approach. But here's what I found interesting. I found a website that lined them both up. And, and in principle, on every single issue, they were in agreement. They only disagreed on maybe the specifics of how you live it out. Like one was when you pay off your debt and what do you do first. But all of them were the same. No, no financial advisor that was basing their advice off of biblical wisdom advocated for debt. None of them advocated for greed. They all said you should be generous in giving. Every one of them said you should be saving and paying off your house. Like they all basically said the same thing. There was just some minor differences. So we should be pursuing some of this wise counsel we have around us today that have taken this biblical wisdom and put it into practice. And if you need help with that, again, I'll encourage you to come speak with someone. Uh, but getting your house in financial order kind of opens you up to be more generous and to do other things in the world and to not constantly worry. It alleviates stress in a marriage. There's a lot of benefits to getting your financial house in order. So are you being wise and are you choosing wisdom over wealth? Next, be content. Learn to be content with what you have. One of the most misused verses in Scripture is Philippians 4.13. And most of us probably recognize it because it's on some stupid sports poster. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like, I can hit a home run. I can run over someone. I can do whatever. It is not any sort of related to a, like a divine ability to all of a sudden be physically better than the, your opponent. If you think that's what it means, go read all of Philippians again and you'll get it straight. Philippians 4 is a direct re uh, reference to I am able to be content. Paul is referencing all these situations that have happened in his life. I can be content in all these situations because of strike, Christ who strengthens me. The far greater miracle in our heart, almost. Contentment in all situations. In every storm and everything that happened in his life, he's saying I can be content because of my relationship with Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to learn some contentment in our life, but we have this bent towards selfishness, right? It's called a sin condition. We all have it. We all are selfish in some way. And Paul says, in Christ I can be content. There's this wonderful prayer towards the end of Proverbs, in Proverbs 30. And it says this, it's the prayer of Agar. And he says this, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Are you content with where God has you? Most of us in here would probably, if, if we were asked, our, our initial response would be this, could you win the lottery? We'd be like, or would you like to win the lottery? Not could you, would you like to? The answer, if you could you win the lottery, the answer is basically no. You can do the math on that later. <laughs> but would you like to? We'd all say, heck yes, who wouldn't? Hundred million dollars, I'd love to win the lottery. And I mean, occasionally I bought a lottery ticket. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna own that, all right? I'm not gonna lie about it. But we'd all say we'd like to do that. But the reality is most of us would crumble under the pressure it put on us. Most of us probably need to lean more like this prayer of Agar in our lives of saying, man, God, just, I don't want too much and I don't want too little. It's almost like the middle class prayer, right? I don't want to be too rich and I don't want to be too poor. I want to be content with where you have, have me at. Yeah, we work hard and we make smart decisions and we try to use godly advice and godly principles and how we live with our finances. But the reality is, most of us in here are not going to be like excessively wealthy. And so are we able to be content with that? Are we able to be happy and say, in all situations, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be at peace. I can be at peace in my middle class home, with my middle class car, my middle class dog, you know. <laughs> I can just be at peace with that. And I can be content with where God has me. And God, please, don't, I don't, almost, I don't want too much because the stress and the pressure that'll put on me. Nextly, and this is kind of a bonus point. We're going to steer away from Proverbs for these last couple. And it's this. We're going to kind of look at what Jesus said concerning this. Felt starting to tie it up. Seek God above all. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will you eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Above everything else, we should be seeking God. We don't need to be consumed with what we have or worry about getting things. If we're not so supposed to worry about our daily needs... We're talking about food and water and our daily provision. How much less should we worry about all those extra things that we allow to consume our hearts and our minds? Man, we start to worry so much about things. And, and God says in, through Jesus and Matthew there, don't even worry about this stuff. Your father knows you need these things. But seek God first. So are we seeking him first? You know, it was difficult in, in that regard to prepare a message on finances. The, the subject matter is actually like pretty easy, easy for me to handle because I've, I've sat in finance classes. Part of my job is finances. Um, and we, we, we personally have gone through some of this and have lived debt-free since our early 20s. And so some of that, that's easy and just natural for me. But it goes beyond that. Are we making good financial decisions as part of seeking God first? Or are we making good financial decisions so I can have more and be more selfish? And that's the hard part. Because if I'm honest, that's where I can live very easily. Is I can make good financial decisions because I know the benefit of it. There, and there is benefit of good financial decisions. But oftentimes where I find myself is I make good financial decisions because I know it can benefit me over here, not necessarily out of heart that's seeking God first. So are we seeking God first? Our life's goal should not be about pursuing wealth or getting rich. Our number one goal should be seeking God putting him above all else.
So how are you handling your money? Is it in a way that says, I'm seeking God first? Yeah, I'm doing wise things. I'm doing these biblically wise things that have been taught because I'm seeking God first. Because I put him number one in my life. Not just to fill my bank account. And then lastly, Jesus paid it all. You see, we all owed a debt we were incapable of paying. So you may have walked into this room today with absolutely zero in debt. Your financial world is in order. Like you, you own your home, you own your car, no student loans, no credit card. But can I share this with you, that at some point, everyone in here owned a, owed a debt we were incapable of paying. We had a sin debt stacked against us that we could never pay off. See, when, when we break God's laws, God's rules, the way he's established things, his established order, that's called sin, doing anything apart from his will. And all of us in here at some point have been guilty of that. And once we're guilty of one point of the law, we're guilty of the whole point of the law. So we're all guilty. So we all came in here with this debt that we were incapable of paying on our own. We had an outstanding balance on the scales of eternity. Romans 3.23 said, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 starts this way, For the wages of sin is death. So the punishment, the payment you owe for that is death. And, and we would say, looking biblically, that's physical death. That happened when Adam and Eve sinned, that death was brought into the earth. But we'd say that's also eternal spiritual death, separation from God and hell is what we see. And so it's a twofold death punishment that he's referencing there. And we all owe that penalty. But fortunately, that penalty has been paid in the person of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Paul later in the second part of 623, it says this, The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus did what we couldn't do to pay back a debt we can never pay back. You could work hard, you could get two jobs, you can work overtime to pay back your debts here on earth. You could owe your credit card company a lot of money and you could find a way to pay them back. There was no way we were going to be capable of paying God back for the debt we owed. Somebody had to intervene on our behalf. And that's when Jesus entered into the scene. Paying the price on the cross of Calvary for us. And so I'd ask you this, if you've believed in Christ as Savior... And you could say, he's paid that debt for me. Are you living seeking God first? Understanding you've been set free. Debt free isn't just in reference to like being financially free. Your sin debt has been paid. And you can live in freedom seeking God first. And if you've never believed in Jesus as Savior, could, could I say as nicely as possible that you owe a debt you cannot pay. And the punishment for that is separation from God and hell for eternity. But thankfully, there's a remedy to that found in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will, be, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you haven't done that today, we say this regularly. It's ABC. Admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And choose to place your faith in him alone. We've all had that debt that we owed. Fortunately, Jesus paid it for all of us on the cross of Calvary.